Hello and welcome to episode three of the Neurodiverse Life podcast, the finale in a three-part series that focuses on some of the most fundamental aspects of our lives and the role that neurodiversity plays in each. Neurodiversity is a term that acknowledges the different ways we all think and learn. In other words, it is an understanding of the natural diversity in our cognition and how we inf process information day to day. This episode is all around our journey to success and embracing who we are to get the most out of life. And with me today is Shante Joseph, a content creator of many varieties, as the presenter of Channel 4's How Not To Be Racist, an established writer for institutions such as The Guardian, Vice, The Evening Standard, British Vogue, and Russian Vogue, if my sources are right, and the host of the My Public Me podcast series in collaboration with The Face and Sky. And Shantae is with me now. Hello. Hello. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, great. It's good to have you here. And given that this episode is all around our journey to success, I want to jump straight in by asking, what does success mean to you? Um, I think for me, success means being able to, I guess, live a life that makes sense for my mind. Um, I would say in other areas of my life or in other aspects, I've been unsuccessful because I was living against the nature of my own brain. So I was never actually being my best self, giving my best work, showing up in the best way that I could. Um, so success means that I'm in an environment where I'm actually working towards my strengths and then I'm able to achieve so much more. So it's not even like success is an end result or success is a thing that I can do. Success is living in a state that feels comfortable for my own mind and not feeling shamed or feeling insignificant. Yeah, brilliant. And you've previously written about your experiences of ADHD. Could you speak a bit about, you know, your journey and kind of coming to understand how you think and learn? Um, I guess so for me, like it, it kind of all started when I was young, when I was in school. Um, I definitely had a lot of kind of issues that were always put down to behavioral issues. And I know that this is something that a lot of other black women have suffered with within the education system. Um, I was constantly made to feel like I wasn't, you know, as bright as I could be, or I was constantly told that I'm not, you know, living up to my full potential and that I was so brilliant if I just applied myself. And if I concentrated, then X, Y, and Z, and it would be a repetitive thing throughout all of my years in education, this idea that I'm not um, applying myself, I can't apply myself. And throughout all of those times, it, it, at that moment anyway, it never really occurred to me that it could be something um, other than me just you know, being lazy, even though I knew that I wasn't lazy, even though I knew that I was working extremely hard, hours and hours and hours in the library, you know, drinking like energy drinks, taking caffeine tablets, like willing myself to concentrate on particular tasks. But I was always working against my own mind and my, and my own interests, basically. Um, and so I really, really struggled. Um, and this struggling in education continued all the way up until university. And because I got kind of okay grades, I definitely slipped under the radar. Um, but the issues really started to present themselves when I entered the world of work because I literally could not work. And all the small little internships I did in between uni and at university, I, I struggled in. But I, I was only there for maybe, you know, six weeks or a summer um, or a couple of days a week or whatever. So I was never really in a working environment long enough for me to notice that I had some serious issues. And it wasn't until I graduated and I started to get into my first roles and my first jobs. And I was like, 
after two weeks of the job, I was bored out of my mind and I couldn't do it. And I would distract everyone around me and I kept getting up and I found it really difficult to sit in the same place for ages. Like I struggled in work, struggled so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until um, the pandemic hit and I was kind of one year into a job and this was the longest I'd ever been in a job in my life. And by the time I got to the end of the year, I was so mentally exhausted like I could not function I couldn't even open my laptop to do to do the work itself Um, and that's when I kind of saw online a lot of other black women were talking about their experiences with ADHD and it prompted me to ask to speak to my employer and they were like do you know what this fair enough like looking at the symptoms looking at what you've spoken about these are things that you all struggle with and work quite a lot so we'll actually support you in getting your diagnosis um and yeah and so Basically, they they paid for my diagnosis. It obviously took me about 50 years to even go through the process in the first place, um, find, like finding all of the all the all of the resources that I needed, getting people to fill out the questionnaires. Da, 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 da. Like it just felt like it was just yeah ridiculous. Um, but then eventually we we got there. Like I got my diagnosis, um, and yeah, that was kind of it, well. It obviously wasn't the end of that because post diagnosis, figuring out medication and routines and coaching and this and that you know it it all then becomes a completely different task but yeah that's where I'm at right now yeah that's great and and one of the things that really struck me when I was reading um through kind of your talking about this story is that your that teacher's reaction to your kind of disruptive or loud behavior in the classroom was to assume that you had issues at home and that seems like a pretty big assumption to make doesn't it yeah but these things are incredibly racialized you know what I mean if it's Mm. a black child then you know there's clearly some issues at home you clearly have some problems going on they never really actually extend like care to you and think oh actually maybe this is so much more than that because of course like you know everybody has issues that are going on at home and these things can be very very difficult but that wasn't the actual issue at hand it was something Mm. more than that um so I think yeah a lot of it just comes down to kind of like racism and you get a lot of medical racism particularly when it comes to black women especially when we look at the stat about like black women being five times more likely to die during childbirth than white women and this is literally because of medical racism um so I wasn't particularly surprised when I saw all of that stuff um but I like it, it was just something that I had to navigate at that time yeah and you've also talked about the how the ADHD kind of stereotype of young white hyperactive boys is particularly damaging for black women who find it pretty impossible to see themselves in that narrative do you think that this does prevent a lot of black women from getting support and do you think that this narrative is changing at all um i i think a lot more black women i'm noticing anyway online are seeking out diagnosis are mm-hmm. finding the resources and most importantly they're finding communities of other black women who believe and support them i think before where these communities weren't fully formed it was quite difficult because you just had nobody to kind of map or validate your experiences against and so then it becomes really hard to 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 actually explore it to figure out what's wrong with you, to even ask mm. the important questions. Um, but I think that's changing so much. You obviously have ADHD babes and you have lots of groups that are dedicated to marginalized people supporting each other through their like neurodiverse issues. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think that's actually amazing. 
but at the same time a lot of work needs to be done there's obviously huge wait lists when it comes to being diagnosed a lot of mm. people are opting to go private and that is expensive like even for me like I'm like wow how am I going to keep up with like paying for my medication when I move out and into my own place and I have other bills that I need to prioritize you know what what slips basically um mm. and so I think yeah it, it is, is getting better but the resources aren't there to match the demand for people who want to seek help um so and then you know we kind of feel like we're back at square one again yeah I think it's the importance of sharing individual stories and kind of talking about these things in, in different ways really does like have a massive impact and I was actually reading um a community post on the National Autistic Society where someone said self-diagnosis or self-identification is kind of achieved through the hard work of figuring out who you are and mm. it doesn't tend to happen in a vacuum but off mm. the back of a traumatic or stressful event that has blown apart your coping mechanisms. I mean, this really resonated with me as an idea, and it, it feeds into kind of what you yourself went through at work. How common do you think these crisis moments are, and, and do you think that we can prevent them? I 100%, I 100% think they are so common. But like we kind of know about, particularly when it comes to women in ADHD, like it's so easy to mask it. It's mm. so easy to be like to kind of just pretend that this isn't happening or it's so easy to kind of like minimize the struggles that you're going through. Like I just, I hated work so much. And I was just like, there is something wrong with me because mm. everyone else can sit here and fill out this thing and do this form and write the things they need to write. I have to get up and walk to prayer every half an hour. Otherwise I can't function. And people always see that as like, why do you always need to get up? Why are you always going on walks? Da, 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 da. I, ca I can't, I just can't do it. Like I was like, I just can't sit here and do this. It doesn't even matter if I enjoy it. I just, I just don't have the attention span to, to do what it is I need to do. So I think like a lot of people are definitely going through this, but a lot of them are not getting the support that they need because it's always just seen as, you know, you're bad at your job. You don't care enough. You're not good. You're not working hard. Um, and I think, yeah, a, a lot of it falls on employers. Employers need to understand how neurodiverse people work, what the best ways to support them in the work is, you know, how you make your office, your office environment, like friendly for people like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, how are you catering to their needs instead of just dismissing them? Um, so there's so much work that needs to be done in that area. I totally, totally agree. And... I think it's easy to kind of focus on a lot of the struggles because they kind of seem like the most salient things in our lives. But what mm -hmm. benefits have you seen in your daily life and kind of general outlook since understanding more about how your brain works and kind of going through this journey of self-discovery? Um, I think becoming a lot becoming more aware of the way my mind works has has done wonders because I know when I'm tired I know when I'm switching off I know when I'm no longer going to concentrate I know that if I just stop this task and wake up tomorrow and do it I will bang it out in one hour instead of sitting there for five hours writing one line and being miserable like I really am in tune with my own body clock now and I've been forced to be aware of my own body clock now and so I think I'm working in ways that actually make sense for me as opposed to just feeling like I need to cram everything all the time. I'm also lowering the expectations I have of myself, which in turn means that I achieve more and I feel happier. Because before I would be like, I need to do all of this stuff by the end of the day. God, I don't even get one thing done. Absolutely not. And so I think I'm doing so much, like when you are realistic with yourself about what you can and can't do, you achieve 
like infinitely much more. And so then you feel more proud of yourself and then you factor in times to celebrate and then you factor in breaks. Like sometimes you have to just expect the bare minimum from yourself and be really happy when you do that. And I think that's one thing that understanding all of this has helped me to do a lot. I feel so much more happier with myself. I feel so much more content. I'm not letting other people down anymore because I'm saying no when I know something isn't worth it and I'm not overloading myself and I'm not comparing myself to other people because that's what one thing you have to realize. So much of what like I think makes us feel sad is that as neurodiverse people, we're comparing ourselves to people who don't have ADHD. And this was a huge issue for me at school. These I revised the same amount of hours as these girls. How come they're so good at it and I'm not? Is it because I need to work harder? Now I have unhealthy working patterns. Now nothing is going in my brain. Now I'm doing even worse because I'm constantly mm. comparing myself to people who are not like me. They don't, their brain is not wired like me. So why do I constantly feel the need to, to say they're doing this and I'm doing this while the outcome's not the same? It's okay to just be like, do you know what? I can't do all that, but I can do this thing. And I'll do a really good job at this one thing. And then tomorrow I'll do this or in the afternoon I'll do this. But lowering the expectations for myself and giving myself the time, giving myself, um, uh, not, not excuses, but like allowing my brain to wander, factoring all that stuff in has like, has been, yeah, has been such a saving grace for me. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've gained. It's so interesting. Like the idea of like lowering expectations is always seen as a, like a negative thing, but mm. it is, I can totally see how that is so, so powerful. And you're right. Like the unhealthy kind of work culture just really can like destroy people, even you know, neurodiverse on all sort of aspects of it, you know, whether you've got a diagnosis or not, like it's just kind of, yeah, I think neurodiverse people are so in tuned to or kind of how their mind works and really embracing like the way that they work, that it's, it's so, so powerful for everyone. Mm. And it's better for the people in your life when you are able to know when you can and can't do things or when you're not in the right brain space or when you need more time like do you know what I mean mm. like you just become better at communicating your needs and that in turn makes you a better friend makes you a better person to be around and makes you more reliable people can trust you because you know that you are saying what you can and can't do in every aspect of my life I definitely feel better like I feel like I have more um I feel like I have stronger friendships I feel like I have deeper friendships I feel like I'm more patient with my friends mm. I feel like I'm more understanding I feel like I'm like less quick to kind of judge or to cut people off I'm like so much more aware of how like my my um emotions like how sensitive I am how attuned I am to, to people's other emotions and I'm not taking that so personally anymore like I am really just like becoming a better person because I'm just aware of like what I can and can't give and I'm realistic about that as well mm. I mean, I think that is just literally the key to success. Like we can dust our hands off now and, mm. and leave the podcast because that is it. Like that, that feels so like, yeah, so salient and so kind of powerful. It really is just kind of like knowing your own limitations and what expectations you can have of yourself. It's just this, yeah, it's just such an incredibly like powerful way to kind of live your life. And, and I think it comes from like this, real like journey of understanding what it what it means to kind of be you and means to be like a human being in this kind of quite weird and wonderful world I guess yeah no trust me it's crazy <laughs> but we make it work yeah absolutely so here's a question do you consider yourself a social media influencer um 
it's really weird because I kind of like gained a, a platform through my writing. So mm. I've never really been like a, like a social media person. Like I'm kind of evolving into that, but I find it quite hard because I'm a bit like, be, doing all that stuff is a lot of time and effort that I just, I don't really care that much. Like, <laughs> but I think, but I think like, yeah, in some aspects, definitely. But yeah, because of my journalism and like, yeah, not much to do with anything else really. Yeah. I mean, that's me just not, <laughs> not being socially media savvy myself that much. But I asked because I think being a social media influencer is kind of considered by lots of people to be like the height of success. And you are very active on social media. And one of the things that strikes me is that given that these platforms kind of allow people to express more of themselves and kind of work to their own schedules, it feels that, you know, despite its flaws, social media can be an incredibly empowering tool and potential income generator for more neurodiverse people. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, Definitely, because I feel like there's something about I guess being online and being able to work in these online structures that kind of allow me to be a lot more flexible. I think mm. like not only has the internet and social media provided me with access to obviously more people that have ADHD, so I feel quite validated, but mm. also the way that the world works and the way that social media works in terms of like what you are expected to deliver is a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable. And some and like the the reaction and the results are instant. Do you know what I mean in a way that you wouldn't get in any in, in in any other environment? So I think I definitely crave, and, the, and I guess it's just like the rewards, right, of like the likes mm. and all this kind of stuff. Like to see people instantly engage with what I'm doing, I, quite, I feel more motivated to do it as opposed to like if I'm just working within some structure and we're working on a campaign and we're working on the campaign for about six months and then it goes live and da da da. Like every single day I create and I put something on online it's there and it gets interactions and I get to see that live. And for me, that's so exciting and that's so incentivizing. Um, mm. so I guess in, in that respect, in terms of work, it does like, I do enjoy it more than anything else I do. Yeah. And I watched um, an interesting clip from a previous interview on channel five with yourself and the radio presenter, James Max. Do you remember the interview? Oh my days. Yeah. That was years ago. I was like, <laughs> This is me in my little research mode. And you'll have to forgive me for the massive preamble for this question. But at the time, the interview was about a report from the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. It kind of said that employers wanted to hire young people but struggled to find those with the right qualifications. And they focused on a minority of young people who would kind of turn up to interviews late or wear inappropriate clothing and use text speech in their CVs. But I wanted to specifically bring this up because the point that James made in the interview is that it's one that we hear so often and it's that people need to take responsibility for themselves as a society we kind of place a lot of praise or blame on individuals abilities to fit in and kind of succeed within our society mm. and it feeds into this idea that if you work hard you can achieve anything and if you're not achieving then it's your fault mm. but we know that our society kind of isn't structured in a way that helps everyone and that some of us can't navigate society as easily or understand the kind of unwritten rules um, of life. Yet comments like this, that kind of we need to take responsibility for ourselves, assume people have a choice in this and that we all have the same opportunities and abilities. So it's simply about the effort we put in. 
I mean, you were in the interview and, you know, we've kind of touched on this already. What do you kind of think about this kind of language? I think it's really problematic, especially because like, I feel in every aspect of life, we have moved on and we've moved forward Mm. and everything has changed and there's more of an understanding and appreciation of, of like the way other people work. But it just feels like in these really weird, archaic sort of like industries or institutions, this idea that if you don't behave the way we don't, we behave, then you're not putting in enough effort. But some people are just different. And maybe Mm. the effort that I put in looks different to the effort that you put in. And we see the kind of same things about like respectability as well, like the way you dress, the way you speak in an office. And this is something I really struggled with because even when I went to uni, I was obviously born and raised in Northwest London. Like I've never really been a minority growing up. I've always Mm. lived in diverse schools. I've always lived in like working class areas. And it wasn't until I went to university that I really felt quite shamed for being mm. from a poor background. I felt quite shamed about the way I spoke, about the way I dressed, about the way I was, about my background. And then these things still filter into working life as well. There's a way to look presentable. There's a way to look respectable. And a lot of it is really about just alienating people that are different. Um, mm. And I think it's the same conversation when we talk about like effort and we talk about personal responsibility. Whereas at the end of the day, not everyone can exist in incredibly rigid structures. Where are you providing flexibility? And I feel like a lot of employers will cease to exist if they don't actually like take note of the fact that things are changing. Obviously we've seen this whole thing about the great resign with all of these young people mm. just quitting their jobs because they're like, do you know, what? I actually don't have to put up with this. I actually don't have to do this. And there are so many ways for me to market myself and my talent and sell my skills online that I don't have to come and dress in a stuffy suit or, or not, or talk a certain way in emails or da, 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 da. like I can actually do what I want. And I think the more that employers are like constantly trying to ram these really old school ideals about what it means to be a professional and put in effort, the less people are going to want to work for them. I mean, even I, I, I can't do it either because I know I'm going to go into an office and they're going to just be complaining about the same stuff. Why did you get up so much? Why are you always talking? Why da, 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 da? like I have to just be on my own. And I would say like quitting my job and working as a freelancer has been the best decision I have ever made in my entire life. Mm. I was petrified. Me and my, I would call my dad and I would be like, dad, I'm so nervous. I don't know. I don't know if I should quit my job, you know, da, 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 da. I even um, moved back home. So I moved in with my gran last year when I uh, left my job. And I was just like, no, like this made perfect sense. This is what I needed to do. I can take on a broad range of projects. I do so much stuff. Of of course, I'm still writing. I'm doing a lot of branded stuff. I'm doing some consulting. I'm doing presenting. I'm doing broadcasting. I'm doing social. I can do literally anything I want to do. No day is the same. And this is the Mm. type of job that I crave. When I was going into the office, filling out them spreadsheets every day, I was like, I can't do this. After two weeks, I wanted to quit every single job I started. Because I was like, this is so boring. And I was like, am I dumb or is this job just dull? And every time it was the job. And so now I'm in a position where I'm like taking care of myself and, and you know, setting my own work schedule, my deadlines, blah, blah, blah. Of course, don't get me wrong. It can be really difficult. It can be really hard setting boundaries, not working too late, not working seven days a week. But I'm having so much more fun. Like, mm. I don't think I could ever go back. And I think there will be a lot of other like, you know, young, bright people like like myself who eventually are just going to quit because they know that they can find better working conditions and, and more exciting work elsewhere. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's just a huge struggle. And I, when I was in work, I felt like that. You're not putting enough effort. You're not dressing professionally. 
you don't write your emails correctly you did da, 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 da. and i just was like oh do you know what oh sort of do you know what i mean like I and I and now those there are the same kind of companies that I'll be working with and whatnot. Like I'm in such a better position now um, because I've decided to just divest from those really harmful structures. I think be sorry I'm rant, ranting so much. I think it's just like no no no. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say the last thing like working all of my working experience really chipped away at my confidence. I don't think I ever left a job feeling good about myself, even if I achieved loads. I would always, I remember when I, I did an internship at Google and I remember being like, wow, I can't believe I got a job at Google. Duh, duh, duh. Like it was just mm. a summer internship, but I was just like, I can't fumble this. I fumble <laughs> every job. And I'm like, Shantae, please, I'm actually <laughs> on, your, on my knees begging you. I'm begging myself to just not mess up this one. And do you know what? As much as I did really, really well in my job, I do remember like there were some points where there was, a, there, I was running like, this campaign for like Chromebooks in the UK and I had to work with an agency on designing something I can't remember what it was like a like social like a out of house campaign or whatever and my manager was like this is the budget so I was like okay cool so I sent it to the agency I was like hey guys this is the budget like we need to work within this budget so we're all we're doing this stuff we're changing things around or whatever and then they're like okay cool yeah this is it we've done it but what I didn't see was that they had the budget and then they had the VAT on top of the budget or the agency fee on top of the budget, whatever. Mm. So it made it over. And then I remember my manager being like, why can't you concentrate? Why didn't you know that this was wrong? Blah, 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 blah. Like getting so aggy at me. And I was like, like literally my bad. Like I literally thought that this was the budget. I didn't even factor in that there would be an additional agency fee. Like I didn't know about all this stuff. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like it was just so like, and I remember at the end of my internship, he was just like, you know, you just, you don't concentrate enough. Like you're always being distracted by other people. And why do you always need to work in a different part of the building? Why do you need to change your working environment? Why can't you just sit at your desk every day and work at your desk where I can see you? And I just felt so bad about myself. I felt so bad. Like, like every single thing mm. that I was doing that made me work better, he would be like, this is wrong. Why are you doing this? You're not good at like, it was so destroying. And I think yeah. I'm now building my confidence back up as a freelancer um, because I'm just not in those environments anymore. So, yeah. No, that's great. And I think, like, as you said earlier, like, um, it's made you, like, having a diagnosis has made you a better friend, more kind of understanding and compassionate of people. And the more we learn about the subjects, the more we learn about, you know, our differences and diversity, the more we are kind of like, okay, well, that shouldn't be a problem. You know, it's, it shouldn't be a problem that some people have to get up and move and, you know, go work somewhere else or, you know, have a standing desk instead of a sitting desk. Like, and I think people are kind of switching on to these ideas because it's just, you know, it's untenable otherwise for lots and lots of people like mm. yourself. It's, it's not uncommon now. And in the same way that kind of society can kind of judge us harshly for our differences, I think we can judge ourselves kind of with a similar harshness sometimes. Mm, and the more awareness of how we all think and learn differently, finding what works for each of us can only, as I say, make us more compassionate. So you've kind of talked about this already, but what is your biggest kind of self-care tip for people who are struggling or being hard on themselves? Oh, that's a really good one. I think... The biggest self-care tip is like, even just to heart back to what I was saying before, like just set your expectations low. When you're going through a rough patch, when you're finding it difficult to concentrate, when you've got a lot of stuff on your list, set your expectations low. 
as early as possible tell people I can't do this deadline I won't be able to meet this why can I extend this and 99% of the time they're like yeah and this is Mm. the maddest thing it's like we put ourselves under so much pressure when we can just ask for help but it's always seen as a weakness it's always seen as oh if I can't do it on this time blah 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 blah. it's worse if you don't say anything just as soon Mm. as you're like no I can't do this can't do it go and ask for help that is self-care trust me self-care is not everything else people are saying it self-care is not buffs and candles <laughs> self-care is asking for how many you need it self-care mm-hmm. is being able to spot that there will be an issue and figuring out how you can put things in place to stop it so for me anyway self-care is like there's no one getting this thing handed in tomorrow let me email and ask for an extension that is what self-care is to me and i think when you see yourself struggling at that moment as much as you can pause or extend things and then lower your expectations to one thing a day and i think you'll be fine yeah, absolutely. We know like how much stress can like hugely impact our ability to kind of perform at, you know, the level that we're used to. So if, mm. you know, stress can just be a massive, massive strain that, yeah, I think that like cutting ourselves off and just being like really strict and kind of in asking for help and not kind of pushing and keep pushing ourselves for this working culture mm. that, it makes so much sense. And as you talk about with the like great resignation, like that is what's happening. People are like, actually, I don't need to be the stress. Actually, I don't need to like have a job that really is just too much for me. Exactly. Exactly. And I think about phrases like kind of own your story or like live your truth. And in writing, you may have heard the kind of the common refrain of find your voice. Mm. Depending on the person, these are kind of either like cheesy, patronizing platitudes or kind of this life motto to swear by. But they do reflect a kind of deeper desire for all of us to know more about ourselves and to know more about who we are and to kind of have a look at what our mind is actually like at all aspects that make us who we are. Has understanding neurodiversity helped you on your own journey to success? 100%. I think getting my diagnosis, understanding my own mind has been instrumental. But I think more important than that, giving myself the space to do it, which I think is obviously such a privilege. I quit my job and moved back home. And Mm. I had, I could, everything could have gone like, you know, upside down. I could have flopped. But more than anything, out of that time, I had the space to just be like, okay, cool. What is it that I actually want to do? What is bringing me joy? What's going to get me paid? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is actually going to allow me to live the life that I want to live? Um, and so for me, yeah, that has actually been such a huge thing, being able to just be like, okay, cool. I'm going to give myself the time and then I'm going to figure out this ADHD thing. And I don't, I don't have it clock, trust me. At the moment, I'm mm. going through a huge thing where I'm moving into my own place and I'm thinking about how can I make my apartment the most ADHD-friendly place ever? What services can I use? What, like, furniture, multi-use furniture can I buy? What gadgets can I get? How can I make every single task easy? Do you know what I mean? And I think I'm so excited. And I know that's going to be a challenge. I know that's going to be a new challenge. And me, like, even my doctor, like, we, when I was like, to him, I want to move out, he was like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Like, you know, you're still learning and understanding and I was like no I actually have to do this because I think it will work to my benefit and if I experience this then I can actually share these tips with other people I can speak from a place of experience I can say cool this was the issue that I was having here this is what I did to solve it um and I think yeah it's, it's I'm constantly learning new things about myself every day is a new challenge figuring out what works for me is 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 basically part of my every day now 
but that always makes me a better person and that ultimately makes me so much more successful because I don't make the same mistakes twice yeah brilliant and that point you made about um giving yourself space is a really interesting one because you know that's that's not what like our society and culture generally allows for you know it's education straight into work and then you work for your entire life and if you're not you know you build up all these financial responsibilities that then mean that if you, you can't just stop working for for lots of people that giving yourself that space even if it's just such a small like 10 minutes a day anything I think is is so valuable to kind of helping you know break the cycle and kind of understand your kind of patterns overall of kind of working, how you're feeling, you know, it's it's really important to do this kind of self-reflection for all of us. Mm-hmm. I'm really struggling with that though, because I find um, re- reflecting on yourself also means reflecting on your mistakes. And so sometimes mm-hmm. it can be so cringe to be like, why did I do that? <laughs> what like what, what was the reason? But I think, yeah, that's that's a huge thing as well. Like dealing with like self-criticism, um of course coming from other people but also coming from yourself and being like oh that was mm." like it's always tough but I agree like it's so important to be like what worked what didn't work how can I do better also ask for it so it's so hard I hate it I hate getting feedback I hate instructions as well this is why I can't drive because as soon as the driving instructor is like you can't drive like that because people will die I'll be like (laughs) you hate me (laughs) because <laughs> this is the vibe of getting for me right now. But yeah, no, seeking seeking out feedback where you can, but whew, that that it can be a horrible experience, I can't lie. <laughs> mm, yeah, and it, it takes it takes time and it's different kind of for everyone. And it's just this whole, you know, life is a process and you talk about mistakes as well. And everyone kind of says, Oh, you know, make mistakes, failure is your greatest teacher. Like it's still not fun, <laughs> but Mm-mm. it is it's true and you kind of slowly but surely kind of start to learn these things about yourself and the more we you know take a kind of methodical approach about it and be like okay stop judging ourselves as well by other people's standards you know yeah there's a lot more to being human than just sort of following all these steps and I think lots of neurodiverse people in particular can never you know follow all of those steps you know at the same time that it makes so much sense for you know us to keep bringing this conversation to the forefront and keep saying you know that there are there are so many different paths to success Mm. there's no one way to live a life and a lot of the learning we have to do kind of comes after education right yeah a hundred percent I learned the most when I got into the world of work in education I can mask I can mask so much because I did so many extracurricular activities that people never really saw any issues or problems. It was just like, she's fine. Like she's doing all this extra stuff. There's no issues. And it wasn't until I got into work, I was like, damn, there is something going wrong here. Mm. Well, thank you for joining me, Shante. It has been brilliant to talk to you. And before we go, are you ready for a few quick fire questions? Yes. Nice. So, how do you think people generally see neurodiversity? I think they see it as um, something that is like super, super common. One thing I hear a lot is everyone has ADHD. I can't concentrate. I have ADHD. And I'm like, sweetie, listen, I cannot hold down a job. Okay, <laughs> this is real. Um, so I, I think people just see it as something that is very, very, very 
common that everyone has. They don't really see it as something that is um, debilitating. They don't see it as a disability. They just see it as you can't concentrate. How would you like to see the conversation around neurodiversity change? I think I want it to be less... Um, I think w one thing I do like is is the hacks and stuff like that that people are talking about. But I want it to be less centered around those things and more sh centered around entire lifestyle changes. And it should be less about what what things people with ADHD can buy and what things that they should order and more about how the world around them can change to make their lives better. Because a world that is better for disabled people is better for everyone. So I, ultimately it makes sense that people interrogate the services that they offer and the things that they do and think, is this going to be conducive to someone that has ADHD? Instead of me buying a thousand gadgets and gizmos to do whatever I need to do and paying for additional support. That's brilliant, yeah. What piece of advice would you give to those of us who are neurodiverse? Um, I would just say be easy. Be kind to yourselves. Growing up, I was horrible to myself. So hot, like I cringe so much when I think about how much I tortured myself, particularly in education and in work, and how low my self-esteem was. But actually, I really needed to extend kindness. I needed to extend grace, and I needed to run my own race and not compare myself to other people who didn't have any sort of neurodiverse conditions as well, because that is a really that can be really soul destroying. Don't compare yourself. Mm. When it comes to embracing neurodiversity, what is the one area you would like to see people do better at? I think I would like to see people do better at embracing um, basically the idea that they you cannot physically do it all all the time. Like you are not mediocre if you can't do 10 tasks in a day. You're not a bad person if you can't complete this thing or you forget to reply to this message. I think I need people to embrace that you are actually going to make mistakes. And sometimes people will be upset about it. But I think learning to apologize, learning to understand your boundaries, what you kind of can't deliver is like the most important thing to embrace more than anything, because then that just makes your life so much smoother. Absolutely. What is your favorite thing about your mind and how you think? I think that I, I am so easily inspired by things. Like I can't use TikTok a lot because every video inspires me. And before I know it, like it's not even like I scroll through TikTok for ages. I'll just then spend the rest of the day making TikToks based on the TikTok that I saw. Um, and so I just feel like I get a lot of inspiration. I always have ideas. There's always stuff going on in my head. Like I just, I just feel like I will never, I will never lack because I always have an idea for something. Um, and I would say, yeah, that's definitely a huge thing for me. Who is your neurodiverse hero? My neurodiverse hero. Um, there is a girl on Twitter called um, Black Girl Lost Keys. And her name is Renee. And she does like lots of like, she writes a lot about ADHD and she has her own little shop. And I just really, I really like her. I love reading her tweets. I love just seeing so much of myself in her. I love the feeling of, oh my God, I'm, I'm not the only person that does this. Like, it's just such a nice feeling to be like, okay, cool. I'm not alone. Like there are other people going through this and she just, yeah, she talks so candidly about her experiences and it makes me feel, it makes me feel human. Right. What does neurodiversity mean to you? I think neurodiversity means just interacting in the world in a way that is different. And I think, yes, it's, it can be about your ability to complete tasks and your executive function, but it's just like the way that you do things. I think like ADHD people are probably some of like 
the most efficient people ever. This is why loads of them are like inventors because we always see a problem and it's like, I'm not going to do this thing because there are too many steps in between me and doing this thing. How do I make this simple? How do I streamline this? How do I create the world around me that makes sense? Um, and I think I love that about myself. I'm constantly thinking about like, what is it that I can do to make my life easier? And then how can I share that on with other people? So they feel like they can make their lives easier too. Um, so I think, yeah, like the creativity, the problem solving, like, and especially like, I just feel like as much as my brain can feel fuzzy, whenever I'm in a situation that is, um, like more serious. I feel like my brain alerts so quickly. I never have more clarity than when I'm in the middle of a crisis and I need to work my way through something. And I think be having ADHD and being a really good problem solver makes those moments really good for me. Great. And we'll end it there. Thank you to Shante Joseph, content creator, presenter, and writer for rounding off our neurodiverse life series. I've been your host, Helen Wilson. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this series, please do keep a lookout for future podcasts from Cognacyst. Here's to celebrating neurodiverse life.